Good morning, everybody. Welcome to week three of our So I've Always Wanted to Ask series, where we're talking about controversial questions about Jesus. And here's a controversial question just to start with that might cause chaos in your lounge room. But I'm wondering, um, there are two really significant events in Christian history that we celebrate. One is Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus when Jesus came to earth. And then there's Easter, which is about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I wonder if you had to vote to only keep one of those, which one would you vote for? And no, you can't just vote for Christmas because it's better food. Easter does have chocolate. It might sound crazy, but I would actually vote for Christmas and no, not because of the presents. If we accept that God did become a man, then really everything else is possible. A man who is God raised from the dead, well, it's not even controversial. Of course that could happen if you believe that God became man. And this is one of the reasons that the incarnation, God becoming man, is a core doctrine of the Christian faith. It's exactly what makes Christianity Christianity. Now, you can believe in God, and I think I think most Aussies probably do, but if you just believe in God, you would be called a theist, one who accepts the existence of God. But you would not be called a Christian because a Christian is one who accepts that God became man in the person of Jesus. That's that's really the essence of the Christian faith. Now, no other world religion dares to tell a story of their holy God lowering themselves to become a man. This is an unthinkable concept and one of the main reasons that the Christian faith has been rejected by most Jewish people in the first century. I love this picture. I can imagine Jesus saying, That's what the universe looks like from this angle. How beautiful. This image for me is a visual representation of the incarnation, God coming down to earth. There are so many verses in the New Testament that lead to the Christian belief that Jesus was God. But here's a key one from the book of John. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very beginning, the Word was with God. Through him, God made all things. Not one thing in all creation was made without him. The Word was the source of life, and this life brought light to people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. The Word became a human being and, full of grace and truth, lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory which he received as the Father's only Son. So I suppose the big question is, why would God become human? Well, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Many of you might know that we're very connected with um church in Papua New Guinea. Now, all this started 
30 years ago when um, Kiap, who was our friend in PNG, was a young pastor, and we heard that he uh, was in need of some funds to get him through Bible school. So our church started to um, send some funds up to PNG for him. And and my husband, Rick, and Kiap started this um, this friendship where they wrote to each other and they wrote beautiful letters to each other for several years. But then something amazing happened. Kiap invited Rick to come to Port Moresby and he did. And it was, it was a life-changing trip. Rick, after, after knowing Kiap just by letter and, and photographs for so many years, he went there, he saw Kiap, hugged him, ate with the family, played games with his kids, stood with Kiap at the funeral of a friend, even accepted the gift of a pig at his daughter's wedding. Do you think I'm joking? Here's the evidence. You cannot replace physical presence when it comes to expressing love. And didn't we all experience that truth during lockdown? Christians believe that God showed himself and his love for us by being present with us in the person of Jesus. So here's a question. Did the early Christians think Jesus was divine and human? Well, let me set up this important point that I want to make. It has been a practice through generations for people to write something important over the entrance to their cities or towns or even houses. It's like as you enter through there, they want you to know that this is of utmost importance to the people that live there. It might, it might be a statement like everyone is welcome here or outside of a mosque, you, you might see something like, please remove your shoes, you are entering holy ground. For many years, I had a sign in our entranceway that said it was from the book of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a record or a statement of what we as a family held dear. I wonder what you would paint on the entrance to your home. The Jewish people for thousands of years had a core creed that was recited over and over again and was often literally painted on their houses. This was what made the Jews Jewish and it's called the Shema. And you would have heard it perhaps if you'd read the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the Jewish people were always surrounded by um, other cultures that worshipped multiple gods. So 
this insistence that the Lord was one, that there was one holy God. This was the most distinguishing feature of the Hebrew faith. The Romans thought they were crazy. They called the Jews atheists because they refused to worship the plethora of Roman gods. How could you be so stupid to miss out on the blessing that would come to you from worshipping the goddess of fertility or or the god of the sea or the god of thunder and weather. To stand and say there is only one supreme God in heaven and he is Lord was the rock on which Hebrew society stood. And yet, within 20 years of the death of Jesus, The earliest writings that we have, some of the letters that Paul wrote to new churches, which were written even before the Gospels that I talked about last week, they recorded that there were hymns being sung in the new Christian community which claimed that this God in heaven had appeared in human form. Not a teacher, not a prophet, but God himself in human form. Now, in the book of uh, Colossians, we have one of these amazing hymns. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation Together And listen to this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Now, Paul, who is a writer of this book, he was the staunchest and most educated of Jews. He would have been brought up with this, with the Shema. The Lord our God is one God. But he is taking the qualities that were attributed to that one God, which is the creator of the earth and the universe, and he is handing them to Jesus. I cannot overemphasize how radical this was and how early in history we know that Christians were singing these truths. What happened? What did they see? What did they experience to bring this radical shift? Did the early Christians believe Jesus was divine and human? Yes. But did Jesus claim to be God? Was this something that the early Christians just made up afterwards? Well, in so many ways, Jesus, through his words and actions, announced who he was, but I only have time to talk about a few of them. There is a story in um, Mark where, where Jesus was speaking in a in a private home and so many people came to to gather around and listen to him that the place was packed and there was a group of people that had a friend who was paralyzed he couldn't walk he he lived his life on on a bed and his friends wanted to bring him to Jesus and and ask Jesus to heal him they couldn't get through so they got onto the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they actually lowered their friend paralyzed friend on a bed down um, into the room. And it's the Bible says that Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, this caused the religious leaders to have a major meltdown because he was claiming to do something that only God could do, which was to forgive sins. And he did this many times. And let me rush through a few more. If if we had time to go over these, we could go through all the scriptures. But maybe if you're in a life group, you can you can do that this week. Jesus claimed the power to forgive sins, which I said before. He also claimed that whoever saw him had seen the Father. He assumed the authority to judge the world at the end of all time. He claimed to have the power to raise himself from the dead. He said he was the only way to heaven. He taught people to pray to him. He performed miracles. And the scriptures are full of miracles, not only of him healing people, but nature miracles where um, the disciples were out in the middle of a a storm that threatened to, to drown the boat that they were in, and Jesus stood up and calmed the storm. And, and the scriptures have the disciples looking at each other and saying, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Did Jesus claim to be God? The Gospels paint a clear picture that Jesus understood that he was God. Well, my question every week has been, so what? Well, if you had been a Jew in the first century, you would have had a very set picture of God. A God of love and mercy, yes, but also holy and just and untouchable and unknowable. You could not see God and live. God demanded obedience and sacrifice for sins committed and God lived in the temple in Jerusalem. That would have been the understanding of most Jews at the time that Christ lived. Now imagine this first century person trying to get their head around God coming to earth to be present with us, to show himself clearly. His whole concept of God had to be reshaped by what he saw in Jesus. Now, the author Mark Clark says this in the book, The Problem of Jesus. He says, Jesus was inviting his listeners to think of God in relation to everything he was saying and doing. When Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, listeners were prompted to rethink God's posture towards sinners. When, uh, through his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' hearers were moved to rethink what actually matters to God when hearing that it will be the persecuted, poor, meek and hungry who will see him in the end, not the successful, proud and rich. When we read about Jesus, we need to see this fundamental truth about him. He wants us to reconsider our understanding of God in the light of who he is and what he said about God. Jesus' life pulled back the curtain about the nature of God and specifically his relationship to human beings. Jesus shows us what it really means to be human. We are not just another animal species, but a special creation made in his image. And his image is not the wholly unknowable one, 
but the one who suffers, who enters into our pain. Mark Clark tells the story of um, Tim Keller's church, which is an important church in New York, when the 9-11 disaster happened. There were so many people who wanted to come to church on that next Sunday that they had to put on service after service after service just to accommodate those who were waiting. What would you preach on a day like that? Well, Tim Keller chose the story of Lazarus. Those of you who have heard the story know that Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus and um, he died. He was only a young man. And Jesus, um, Lazarus's sisters called for Jesus to come and he delayed um, a couple of days and Lazarus died. And obviously his sisters were very upset with Jesus. But Jesus came. And the scriptures say that when he came to Lazarus's tomb, the Gospel of John is translated as saying he was deeply moved. Now, the original Greek word meant to roar or snort with anger like an animal. Now, I think the translators were being a bit passive. A better translation would be, Jesus came near to the tomb bellowing with anger. Jesus was entering into the pain of that family. He was yelling at death. I wonder if it gave those New Yorkers comfort to know on that fateful day, God was yelling at death and entering into their pain. Jesus shows us the nature of God, not a distant being, but the one who enters into our suffering, our pain, our temptation, our sorrow. Why does this matter? Because if it's true, Jesus translates God into a language we can all understand. And in this we can find hope that not only does God exist, but he is for us and he is pursuing us so much so that he became one with us to bring us home. Can I just leave you with a final story and perhaps a couple of visual images that might stay with you? In the Jewish religion at the, at the time when Christ walked this earth, Everyone had to come to the temple to offer sacrifice because they really believed that God lived in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. And there was this special section right in the centre of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And it was like that is where the presence of God was. And it had this massive curtain that separated that very holy area from the rest of the temple. And only the high priest was allowed to go into that area and only at certain times of the year as well. It was like God was so holy that the average person was not allowed to come anywhere near him. The stories about the death of Christ in the gospels record that at the moment when Christ called out and gave up his life on the cross. That that curtain 
was ripped from top to bottom. And that area that was supposed to be the dwelling place of God was exposed. You know what was in there? Nothing. God was not there. Because God was hanging on a cross outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And he did that for you and he did that for me. He did it to be present with us in our suffering. I'm so grateful that God loved me, loved you so much that he came and became like us to show us what God is like.